Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another very special fall, fairly close to Advent, episode of Ignite Radio Live. Over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio, you are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter, and again, just so blessed to be together this night. And um, we have a special, special guest backed by popular demand, one might say. Indeed. So I will say in the church, we run the risk of idolatry, of putting, you know, sports stars and all of that above Christ, who is, of course, Lord. But I I am so delighted that one of my mentors and heroes, Mm. John Michael Talbot, is with us. So we're going to welcome him here quickly, kick in some commercials. And our theme tonight is really we want to open the door and speak to the many of us who perhaps um, are believers. We profess Christ, we go to Mass, we read our books, we listen to music, we pray a novena, but there's something tilt within us. We're being spun by the world. John Michael wrote a book. We're going to talk about that tonight. And in a special way, we're going to kind of go to Psalm 51, and we'll talk about maybe why that is such a significant of all the Psalms. So, Steph, let's quickly kick out the commercials. Check out Presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, for, F-O-R-E, Christmas.com. The first three Wednesdays of December in preparation for Christ coming at Christmas. Um, a beautiful Advent opportunity to grow closer and, and j- just to enter into that quiet side. And final commercial, uh, those of you parents who want to see your homes become that place of encounter, want the support and encouragement, we just direct you to ilovemyfamily.us. So with no further ado, welcome, John Michael. How are you? I am doing great this morning. Thank you so much. We're blessed to have you with us again. Gosh, you know, the Lord's grace has just poured through our last time, and uh, we want more, more Lord, more Lord through John Michael. Yeah, yeah. Well, God is good. You know, Mm -hmm. you mentioned something about celebrities. Yes. And it just, in in your opening, and it really, it struck me that, you know, I, I write, I think I've close to 40 books now, Uh, and I've done, golly, 57 or so recordings, and I work with people to make these better. I mean, in the the record world, I work with good producers and great engineers and Mm. great players, Uh, so I sound good because they make me sound Mm. good. And I write books, and I work with great, great editors who make me sound like I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) You're so modest. Yes, yes. Seriously. And and one of my editors, I I won't mention, but they were talking about the the state of Catholic books right now. And there is a growing consensus that Catholic books are going to be out of business within 10 years Mm. because Catholics aren't reading books the way they used to. We're going to Google and the internet and social media, which is is good in a fix. And it's a, you know, any media is potentially a good thing, mm. but it does not go to the depths right. of down with a great book and reading a great book. And this editor said to me the other day, they said, you know, one of the banes of Catholic publishing is celebrity priests. Mm-hmm. And I said, why? And, and they said, uh, because they usually only have about one or two things to say, and they say it in a book that does really well, and they should probably stop. Mm. But instead, they keep going, 
and they just keep saying it over and over and over again. And they travel and they do the circuit. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, is if that's all you do, you get a pretty big hit. Right. So interesting. I said, well, yeah. I said to my editor, I said, well, you know, you're speaking about me. <laughs> I don't think that's true, but go ahead. I, because I, most people have a few things to say, and they say it in different ways over and over. And, and you know, I mean, my main teaching is the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Mm. That's what I preach. And, and so I, I, I said, well, I'm guilty of that. And, I, and I'm guilty of having a big head at times. And then, but I countered, and I said, you know, the saints, most of the saints were rich people who gave up everything and followed Jesus. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have certainly uh, everyday poor people who became great saints, mm-hmm. no doubt about that. Um, but most of the saints in the pantheon, if you'll excuse the terminology, mm-hmm. of our saints were people who were very wealthy and doing very well and gave up absolutely everything right. to become a disciple of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. I thought, well, they were celebrities. You know, I mean, Bernard of, mm-hmm. of Clairvaux was the most influential man in Europe in his day, more so even than the Pope. Uh, they were stars. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go down the list, but what was the difference? And the difference was... They gave everything up. They didn't try to accumulate, and they didn't hang on to things. Mm. So this interview is is kind of preparing us for Advent, which mm-hmm. is coming up. It's a season of repentance, mm. metanoia. Uh, meta meaning with, noia comes from nous in Greek, and it means the mind, mm. uh, means the spiritual mind. So, so with our mind to turn around and come back mm. to and we have two liturgical uh, seasons of, of penance, and that's Advent and, of course, Lent. And I always say the difference between the two is Advent is Lent with a little sugar on top. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, John Michael. <laughs> yeah. So, so if Lent is dry, coast, dry toast and, and, you know, black coffee, uh, this is maybe coffee with a little bit of cream, and maybe your toast has a little bit of butter on mm-hmm. the top of it. That's so good. It's um, so very it, sweet. There's a, there's a sweetness <clears throat> about the Advent penitential season, but we forget that it's a penitential mm-hmm. season. This year, especially this year, you know, they started advertising Christmas even before Thanksgiving this mm. year. Yes. And so everything is Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. And, of course, we forget that Christmas is the Christ Mass. That's mm-hmm. what it means. So, you know, not only put Christ back into Christmas, but also put the Mass back Amen. into And so uh, it's easy to kind of get swept up in kind of a secular understanding. Psalm 51 is um, the quintessential song of repentance. Mm. And we use it in the Divine Office every Friday morning. Uh, it's, it, it was used in monastic history when the monks would process, for instance, to or from the church uh, in a procession. They would always chant the Miserere. Mm-hmm. 
hmm. or Psalm 51, or in the Septuagint, it would be Psalm 50. And the Septuagint is what? The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, or the Jewish scriptures. Thank you. And, and the, the interesting thing about the Septuagint is that it was the, pre, the prevailing uh, version of the Jewish scriptures in the time of Christ. Most people went to the Septuagint and not to the Hebrew. Mm. And that's why the Church used the Septuagint almost exclusively uh, and didn't go back to the Hebrew scriptures in Hebrew until the Vulgate with St. Jerome. Mm. So that's the Septuagint. Thank you. Um, Psalm 51 is powerful. In, in the Egyptian monastic tradition, Psalm 51 is used at the beginning of every office at all times of the year. Wow. So they begin, for instance, we have morning prayer, prime, uh, uh, and, and lauds, and then the, the third hour, which is nine in the morning, or mid-morning prayer, which is the time that Jesus was taken before Pilate. It was also the time that the Holy Spirit fell upon the apostles and the yeah. first community. So it's those two things. Noon is when Jesus is placed uh, put upon the cross, and uh, that's uh, sext, or the sixth hour of the day. The ninth hour, or three in the afternoon, is when Jesus died on the cross. And, of course, Vespers is when Jesus is taken down from the cross and laid in the tomb, and also a time for us to just kind of settle down and to thank the Lord for the day's work. Then Compline is night prayer, and that would be just a reflection on the day. Jesus is in the tomb, and we are resting completely. Can I pause you a mat- second? Excuse me, but matins then, or what we would call the office of readings, uh, happens either at the beginning of the next day at 3 a.m. or at midnight. Hmm. And it's just a, a deeply, deeply contemplative time. Psalm 51 is prayed by the Coptic monks at the beginning of every one of those offices. Mm. Wow. That's how important it is. That's amazing. Just a quick note for our listeners. I was blessed to be introduced to what you're describing called the Divine Office, Office of Readings, um, well, a seminarian at Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg. And uh, just two things. One, if priests and religious are obliged to pray this, I think twice a day, right? Hopefully they'll try to hit all the other ones too. And the church has the wisdom to begin that with, oh God, come to my assistance. What encouragement to the rest of us to know how throughout the day God wants us to be turning to him. And just another note, um, it's so significant as a seminary, and I recall one of the rooms, one of the Sem's rooms, from the top of the ceiling going down a complete side was written out in large letters this psalm. And I just wondered, what did this seminary experience that motivated him to do this? Anyways, back to you. Well, yeah, Psalm 51, and I'm just going to, I'm going to lay my heart and my soul in front of you guys Mm -hmm. and the listeners, I suppose. I've always certainly believed in penance. I've done my good fair share of sinning in my life, Mm -hmm. both before Christ, after Christ, before Catholic, after Catholic, before a monastic life and after but I didn't 
get it. Mm-hmm. I'll just be honest. Mm-hmm. I didn't get it until about four and a half years ago now. I almost died. Mm-hmm. And in the hospital, uh, I, I couldn't pray objective thoughts. I couldn't say, praise you, Jesus. I wanted to praise God, but I couldn't think those thoughts. It hurt to think. Mm-hmm. So all I could do was lay in my bed, and I mumbled in tongues for hours. And during that time, an angel got me under one arm. I think it was my guardian angel. Another under my other arm and lifted me out of the bed and took me to a place where I could see paradise. And I saw it very, very clearly. Light that was brighter than anything I'd ever seen, but it didn't hurt my eyes. It was comforting, and it drew me in, and Jesus was at the center of it. What a and gift. all the apostles and prophets and angels and saints were all there, and I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And they turned me around and brought me back to that hospital bed, and I came out of that experience mumbling in tongues, and I was overwhelmed with two things how desperately, desperately short I have fallen from what God gave me to. And I wept. I just wept, and I still weep. Powerful, thank you. And at the same time, how God allowed and allows me to see his glory Mm. and in his presence through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through his love, through his mercy. And so during Mass, or during the Divine Office, which, by the way, you mentioned something, Brother, and that is, it it is the second most important prayer to pray in the Catholic Church, next to the Mass. Mm -hmm. Most important. The next important thing in the teaching of the Church is the Liturgy of the Hours. Mm -hmm. And it can be prayed by lay people. So when I pray the Liturgy of the Hours, and especially when I pray the Eucharistic prayer as the priest is saying these amazing prayers Mm -hmm. that go from the very beginning of the church, I am wrapped out of myself. Mm -hmm. And many times I can't stop weeping. So Psalm 51, that's what Psalm 51 is about. Have mercy on me, God, in your kindness. In your compassion, blot out my offense. Have mercy, Lord, in your kindness. In your compassion, blot out my offense. Oh, wash me more and more from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. Mm. Oh, wash me more and more from my guilt. Wash me and cleanse me from all of my My offenses, truly I know them. I don't think I knew them 
in my gut hmm. until after that experience. My sin is always before me. Truly I know that all my offenses my sin is ever deserve anything it's all grace against you you alone I have sinned and what is evil in your sight I have done indeed you love truth in the heart but in the secret of my heart the secret the depths of my heart teach me then I shall be And I shall be whiter than snow. Lord, let me hear rejoicing and gladness. Turn Purify me, then I shall be clean, I shall be whiter than snow. A pure heart create for me, O God, and put a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or deprive me of your Holy Spirit. Nor cast me away from your presence. And with a spirit of fervor sustain me. And here we get to the positive stuff. That I may teach transgressors your ways and sinners may return to you. Rescue me. I love that word, rescue. Mm -hmm. We mention so much, sometimes it loses its power for us. I'm rescued. I'm like lost. I'm in the deep end of the pool drowning, you know, and the lifeguard comes out and rescues mm -hmm. me. That's Jesus. Open my lips and my mouth shall declare your praise. There, There is, you know, one of the openings for one of the offices. In sacrifice, burnt offerings, you, you take no delight. So that's, you know, formula prayer. Mm -hmm. he, take, he takes no delight in that. My sacrifice is a contrite spirit, a humbled contrite heart you will not spurn. Mm -hmm. You know, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem through what? Through that humble contrite heart. Now, he says, then you will be pleased with lawful sacrifice, holocaust saw on your altar. So we may go to Mass every day, and if we're just kind of breezing through it thoughtlessly or in, or, uh, in a manner that's too rote, uh, God's not impressed. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right? He's just mm -hmm. not impressed. Anybody can do that. But what what causes that sacrifice to be rich for us. Not, it's always rich in and of itself, but rich for us as an experience. 
is when we are humbled and when we are contrite. Mm. And so these seasons of penance that the church gives us twice a year are so important to focus back on this so that we are penitential every day. Mm-hmm. Of the same thing is true with the joyful seasons, with Christmas, with Easter, uh, that every day we will do penance, that every day Jesus will forgive us, he'll be born into our life, that every day he will die on the cross, that every day he will rise on the third day, the tomb will be empty, every day he will ascend to to paradise to prepare a place for us. He's not leaving us, he's preparing this, you know, what I saw in that experience, this is what we are made for. This is just a holding tank down here, it's a practice period. We are made for eternity, and he's there. And he sends us the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to empower us on this journey so that we don't feel Mm -hmm. abandoned or alone or powerless, so that we have the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of Jesus and the Father within us, within us. Mm -hmm to empower us to get through this journey that we call life. And at the end of life, we're all going to die. You know, er, you know, every few days I find out about a community member who died. We had a mm. dear brother die today out in Arizona. Uh, his name is Don Bauer. Pray for and, his soul. Yeah, and he died from a heart procedure. Well, mm. I look at that and I go, that's me. Mm. I'm where we're all going. We're going to do that. And we want to have a happy death and a good and make that transition to paradise. So Psalm 51 takes us from deep, 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 deep contrition to praise. And, and if you follow the Psalms, that's what they all do. And that's what every office does. We begin either with thanksgiving or with penance. And when we begin with penance, it always ends in Praising God, exalting God, glorifying God. It, you know, we're, we're singing these great psalms of, of praise with the angels and saints who are in heaven. Because, when you know, the greatest New Testament book of praise is the Apocalypse, the mm. Revelation. All these heavenly scenes of where we are going and what we will do. And so we get a foretaste of that on the face of the earth. Beautiful. The word apocalypse, of course, means unveiling and corresponds to the Hebrew wedding feast uh, of the of God betrothing us. There's there's nuptial language there that the saints wrote about. And we've talked about that in a former episode in Psalm 51, perhaps contextualize the author in terms of today and say this. We're fashioned for Trinitarian love. The enemy knows this. And to throw us off our game, that, that, that desire, the sexual urge, God designed all of this for intimacy with him. And the two things that we see are complicity with sexual immorality in this culture. It's hard to avoid it visually, if not in action, pornography, all that. So there's one thing. And secondly, complicity to the degree of murder. 
whether it's actually getting an abortion or or perhaps being not speaking about it, and certainly with that love, mercy, compassion. But those two things of sexual immorality are pervasive and um, impairing us living the abundant life, as well as complicity, if you will, in murder. Tell us a little bit about how the author of this psalm was well acquainted with these two things. David, King David. You know, he started out a man after God's own heart, a little shepherd boy, and he was made king, and he became a very powerful and rich man and a very influential man. And he accumulated, which was lawful in his day, many wives, Mm -hmm. and he wanted one in particular. So uh, he had Uriah the Hittite, uh, who, who was married to this woman, uh, he had him put to the front of the battle in a battle so that he would die and so that he could take her as his wife, and he did. And it was from her that Solomon mm-hmm. was born. So this is a very, that's a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. And he was, it's murder, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, in order to get the woman that he wanted. And so that's what he did. And the prophets, of course, uh, spoke to him and told him that he couldn't get away with it. And mm-hmm. and it would be his son Solomon who would end up building the temple. He would not be able to complete it in his day, which was he had been given to do. So he fell short of his vision. So King David was, you know, certainly not chaste in his thoughts. Now here's the kicker, and this is important as you were speaking. We talk about murder And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great Lutheran theologian Mm -hmm. during the Nazi persecution, uh, wrote two books that are great, Cost of Discipleship and Life Together. And he says that when we gossip about our brother or our sister, that we murder them, Mm. that we are held guilty before God of murder because we are killing their name. Mm -hmm. Name. Powerful. So, Mm -hmm. So these notions of promiscuity... Um, when we are all tempted by thoughts, and I get into this in my book, Hermitage of the Heart, mm-hmm. uh, and the Desert Fathers and the monastic hermits and whatnot teach us very clearly, because they're experts on this. The devils can put thoughts into our mind, and they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Augustine would say, that's not a sin. It's sinful if you begin to toy with them, if you begin to entertain them. The same thing is true with the flesh. Devils can titulate the flesh. Oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I need comfort. Oh, I'm, you know, we're speaking about sex, so maybe I'm sexually excited. They can titulate the flesh, which is astounding. Hmm. But as soon as that happens, you have to think it to process it as a human being, Mm -hmm. and then you have the choice. What am I going to do with this? So you either play with it and toy with it and give into it, which is all sin, or you don't. So the thought is not a sin. The sensual, the initial sensual excitement is not a sin. What is a sin is entertaining them, toying with them, and eventually giving into them. So we have thoughts that come to us, and Jesus speaks about chastity. That when you lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery, whether you did the act or not. Uh, so on TV, I mean, there's all these shows, and it's 
you know, we are besieged mm-hmm. by an anti-Christian sexual morality, confusion mm-hmm. of of sexes. I don't even like to use the word gender because God only created two sexes, mm-hmm. male and um, This is coming at us all the time, especially on a station like NBC. They just push it and push it and push it and push it. Right, even in commercials, not even just the shows, yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we are filled with these thoughts, whether we like it or not. And my advice is turn it off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You don't thoughts, turn it off. Uh, The Desert Fathers did just fine without TV. Right, (laughs) right. Very much. Uh, so, so turn it off. Only watch the things you really want to watch, and and so be discriminating about what you put into your head, because if it comes into your head, now you've got to deal with it. So, if you want less to deal with, fill your head with good things. Read the scriptures. Read the lives of the saints. Uh, pray the divine office throughout the day. I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, fill your head with good thoughts. That's the way. You beat it. So I wrote this book, Hermitage of the Heart, around a guy named St. Romuald. He was a 10th and 11th century reformer of the Benedictine tradition in the West. And he wanted to bring the teachings of the Desert Fathers into uh, the West. And then shortly thereafter, a guy named St. Bruno of Cologne uh, founded a group of hermits called the Carthusians. So St. Romuald founded a group that was eventually called the Camaldolese Hermits, and then there were the Carthusians. And around about the same period, there were the Cistercians under Stephen Harding and then later under St. Bernard of Clairvaux. So these three reforms were really, really, really important in the history of not only monasticism, but of the church, because they were also fighting abuses within the clergy, uh, namely buying bishoprics, uh, and you would buy those bishoprics from usually secular leaders who would declare that you are to be the next bishop, and then the pope would either rubber stamp it or not. Mm-hmm. And they, they got out from under that system of buying positions in the church. And these three reformers, Romuald, uh, Bruno, and Bernard, were were serious, serious church reformers. Praise um, God. <laughs> yeah, and mm-hmm. it worked. Mm-hmm. It worked in large. It's called the Gregorian Reform. So uh, this book is bringing this tradition of asceticism, of, of healthy discipline, into the 11th century, and the book, I'm hopefully bringing his teaching into the, to the now, because they're a... They're a they're not a well-known community, and he's not a well-known saint. He's one of the patron saints of our community, along with Benedict and, and Scholastica and Francis and Claire, uh, and also St. Anthony of the Desert and St. Pacomius. So he's, It's a fun he's, name, Pacomius. <laughs> Little Pacomius, come here. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Pacomius. Uh, and he's important because he is the originator of communitarian monasticism, which is picked up on predominantly by the Benedictines in the, in the Western Church. Mm. So he's, he, the interesting thing about Romuald, he lived to be 120 years old. Wow. He reformed or founded over 100 monasteries in his day. Only a handful of them survived. He was 
he 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 got off to a rough start, uh, and you know started his life badly, and the monks tried to kill him at uh, goodness, uh, yeah, Saint Apollinaris in Classe, and that's when he started his hermit life. He uh, he got a second vocation to become a reformer and a founder later, after living as a hermit, and he did that. Um, he, the communities he would found often he, he reached a conclusion he would never be an abbot of those communities he would found them have an abbot appointed and then move on but he was still the spiritual father of the movement and nine times out of ten those those abbots wanted to go back to the pre-reform idea of the abbot which meant that they would have a lot of riches mm-hmm. and they would become feudal lords. Mm-hmm. And Romuald would rebuke them and they would take it very badly. He was They tried to assassinate him, I think, three or four times in his life. One time he corrected an actively homosexual monk and the monk accused him of being actively homosexual and he was put under, uh, you know, he was taken out of position and... and was not the faculties to celebrate mass were taken from him until he got his good name back mm. um, and he never you know robbers would come and and break into his hermitage and he'd give them give stuff away and he would treat them like brothers Gosh. and he would never resist when people calumniated him or or spoke badly of him or gossiped or slandered him or when they persecuted him he was always mm. this loving, loving, loving guy. Mm. A remarkable soul. So I wrote this book because he's just wonderful. And he teaches us that in the midst of our activity, and most Catholic Christians and Christians in general are very active people. And in the West, most of our religious orders are highly active. Mm-hmm. You know, we think of them about what they do, not who they are. Mm. And, and Romuald brings this hermit tradition into the West, and he brings together the need for hermitage or solitude and silence and community for support. And then from that, uh, they begin to minister. One of the great fruits of this would be the original St. Peter Damien, the hmm. first Peter Damien. He was a Camaldolese abbot um, and lived in a place called Fonta Avellina. Uh, which was a part of the Romualdian reform, and later, I, later he actually they became their own community, but it was part of the tradition of Romuald, and he was one of the greatest preachers of the Church of his era. As a matter of fact, Peter Damien, who preached the humanity of Jesus, preached the uh, not so much the, the glorification of Jesus in the Trinity, but began to preach strongly the human life of Jesus. And from that, in the West, we got this great, greater devotion to Mary because of her cooperation in the incarnation of mm-hmm. Jesus. And that paved the way then for guys like St. Francis, who was, he wanted to imitate the actual life of Christ, mm-hmm. much so that he was called an altar Christus, mm-hmm. the little Pavarello, the little poor man, but he was also called another Christ. Because and so this all comes from this Romualdian reform, 
and bringing the balance between hermitage and community and then ministry. It's called the threefold good. I so love I it. Want to talk a book about it, and I, I like it. it. It's put together as a 40-day retreat. It's a good retreat uh, that you can buy the book and go through it. For instance, in Advent, to go through, and in Lent, again, it's a 40-day retreat. So there's a morning uh, meditation and an evening meditation. They're short. Each one is only about 500 words, and mm. it's only a 1,000 words a day, which is about as long as a good article in the newspaper. Fabulous. So they're very, uh, they're put, the, the, we tried to bring it in the book and put it into very digestible portions for a 40-day retreat. That sounds so awesome. Um, listeners, you can access, um, to order this book at troubadourforthelord.net. Again, the name of the book is Hermitage of the Hearts by John Michael Talbot. Troubadour for the Lord. And those of you who are saying, how do you spell Troubadour? It's T-R-O-U-B-A-D-O-U-R for the Lord.net. Gosh, I could just, con- I mean, and we will continue to listen, but even jumping way back um, to the beginning, thank you for your explanation of the uh, the times of the divine office and the meaning behind them. Just so powerful. You know, if we mm-hmm. stop in these moments of things that we've, you know, know a little bit about or just take for granted as routine, but everything right in the church, in the Lord's creation is so rich. So thank you for that. And thank you also, John Michael, for sharing your experience while you were in the hospital. So, so powerful. And just God's goodness there. And you touched on so many things from guardian angels to the communion of saints to, you know, the throne of God to, you know, just praying in tongues and so, so, so rich. And as you proclaimed, you know, the psalm, I was like, my interior was like, wait, 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 wait. Um, So thank goodness for podcasts where listeners, you can just hit pause (laughs) and sit there. But gosh, if that's just a taste of this gift of hermitage of the hearts, you know, praise God and thank you for that. Um, And I love the trifolds. What was the phrase that you used? The threefold good. Threefold good. I mean, doesn't that touch on everything? So to your publisher, you just keep on repeating those messages <laughs> because, you know, you said your two themes are cross and resurrection. And as, as you described, you know, even in um, the divine office, starting out a certain way and coming out on the other side, isn't that the... the, the um, the breath of life, right? Where the Lord calls us to ever more deeply. And if you're saying that it was just four and a half years ago that you had this experience Mm. and how, you know, we've all fallen so short, right? Regardless of our state in life, we're all sinners. We all can go deeper. And I don't mean that as a cliche or as an excuse, but just an awakening, right? Like we just, Lord, help us to go deeper, help us to appreciate more, help us to know you know, these objective things in a more subjective way, in a relational way, deep into the heart and alive in the Holy Spirit. So, gosh, I just want to praise the Lord for that and thank you for your cooperation um, sincerely. Gosh, so much grace. I think back to um, years and years ago when Greg and I, even prior to marriage, were doing ministry together with young people, and we would do these um, high school retreats and that always included confession. And we'd prepare our teams the night before they were 
uh, youth who also helped put on these retreats. And part of our preparation was your music, John Michael, and how before that before the Eucharist, before the Eucharist, and how the Lord just used that to soften hearts and to prepare souls and to really enter into that quiet place. And then, you know, the the following day with these retreatants, the impact that it had prior to confession and during confession as it was being played in the churches or the gyms or whatever, and um, just how the Lord continues to use that. So I guess I just want to proclaim a big thank you to the Lord for blessing you, your cooperation with that, and um, just to acknowledge the profound gift that it continues to be. Um, and certainly, as we shared in our last episode with you, it welcomed our children into the world <laughs> as mm. as we were in labor. So, so a burning question here, looking at our time, um, it's probably providential that on the front pages of most of the media, the last few days, certainly weeks, is self-awareness by the secular world of the toxicity of social media, particularly focus on Facebook. And we're discriminating as we're listening here, right? It can be used in a horrible way. It can be used in a very good way. But the point I want to make and I want to ask you is how do most of us listening to you right now navigate from garbage in the heart or wiring of garbage in the heart to hermitage of the heart? And then just the image that I have of this of this tremendous work that you have, the invitation the journey you're inviting us to go there is of the old prior to digital radio dial where it was static and you had to just kind of find that fine-tuned station. And the enemy has been successful in equating the static with something attractive. But we end up, whether it's Facebook for most of us or consumption, all the more empty, all the more with discord, all the more anxiety. And But people are wired for that. So the question, advise us, guide us. How do we go from a wiring of garbage in the heart to actually turn the signal and see the great value that we're made for to hermitage of the heart, to make the step help us. Well, I can tell you that I only use um, social media for my ministry. I don't use it personally. Mm -hmm. Um, So I am extremely discriminating about who I want to follow or what group I want to join. I only follow and join people or groups, and I do very few of them, mm-hmm. that are very close to my interests. I've joined a Camaldolese group, a Carthusian group, a Byzantine Catholic group, and so on, mm-hmm. uh, a Coptic group. That's, uh, so I don't want to see all the other stuff. and. And when it starts coming up on my newsfeed, I go up there, there's a little button on the right, and I hit it, and you can say, I don't want to see this again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just get rid of them. And uh, if people come onto my site and start to argue about uh, theology or, you know, if they're anti-Catholic or this, that, or the other... I block them mm-hmm. because I don't. And now, if I feel I can reach them, I try. But my experience with social mm-hmm. media is, despite all of my best efforts, it never works mm-hmm. because they're not there to dialogue. They're there to polemicize mm-hmm. or, or to argue. Uh, so I just get rid of them. Mm-hmm. So I'm very discriminating about what I do and don't do on social media. Uh, the 
there's a wonderful book out. I'm going to promote another book by a sociologist, and it, this was recommended to me by one of the priests in our community, uh, Jean Twin, Twingay or Twinge, Ph.D., hmm. author of Generation Me. Hmm. The book is called iGen, and it, uh, on the, the subtitle is Why Today's Super-Connected Kids Are Growing Up Less Rebellious, More Tolerant, Less Happy, and Completely Unprepared for Adulthood. Mm-hmm. And she brings out in this book that the suicide rate and the clinical depression rate of of the generation that is tied to its phone or its tablet has gone through the roof. Mm-hmm. It was going up as people used the social media more and more. And when we got to the and these kids are like college age kids today. Mm-hmm. When that generation hit, it went like a rocket to the top of the chart, and it's still going. So uh, in some ways, they're, they're not as narcissistic. They are not as, uh, they don't feel entitled. They know they have to work hard for, for whatever they're going to do in life. Unlike Generation X or the Millennials, uh, who said we are spiritual but not religious, so we had people leaving the church in droves. Uh, mm-hmm. This generation is neither spiritual nor religious. Mm, They're pretty much completely atheistic. Uh, so we're, we're in the equivalent of the brave new world mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. that we all had to read of our generation when Toxic we were kids. Toxic world. Our 1984, you know, that was another one. Mm-hmm. We're way now, but we're, we're we're definitely moving into that. Archbishop Gomez just wrote a wonderful article on the new false religion of identity politics mm. in the United States. I would recommend you find it. Uh, it's on. Uh, I think you can get it from the USCCB. So this is the world that we're living in, and and so as Christians, we have to be most discerning on what we allow to come into our mind. And perhaps the best thing you can do is sit down with the scripture of the day or the divine office. Right now, I've been going through the ascetical homilies of St. Isaac the Syrian. It's Mm. a seven-page book. I've been going through it all year. It's so rich and so dense. I read about half of a homily and meditate on it for the rest of the day. It's Mm. all I can do. But it fills my mind with the things of God and with the things of some of the greatest saints. Uh, do that, folks. Spend your spare. You know, if you want to find out where your heart is, where does your mind go when it wanders? Mm-hmm. And and boy, that is a showstopper for me. If my mind starts wandering to secular stuff, or in my case, uh, it's it's food. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is the first of the eight vices in the Eastern list, gluttony. Um, you know, then I have to then I have to take a I have to take real notice of that and go, oops. Mm-hmm. I need I need to get more focused on Jesus here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think a great reminder. Greg has said this over and over again. You know, whenever he has the urge 
to check his phone, like turn that into a prayer. Like, first of all, what's motivating me that I feel this, and we all struggle with it, those who have, you know, the smartphones and the thises and the thats, but like, what is that draw and what is disordered, you know, internally that, you know, that is my draw. Okay, so it's there. Let's try to conquer it. And every time I feel that urge, lift a prayer, grab scripture, you know, do something um, that's going to draw you closer to the Lord versus, you know, polluting your mind. And it doesn't have to be with sinful stuff, but just things that are, you know, there's no neutrality in the kingdom of God, right? Either you're going deeper, you're going farther apart, you're either coming closer to Christ or further from him. And so what a great reminder. So thank you for that. So Catholic mindfulness uh, is a great... Look at our, yeah. I'm going to say one more thing and I'll stop. Please. Mm-hmm. You're good. We look at our smartphones, Americans, eight times a minute. Wow. Or, or wow. Repeat that for us all. We look at our smartphones eight times a minute. Gosh. And that wow. is serious dysfunction. Yes. It is. And and you know. by standards of by standards of addiction, they say um, we are a generation that is ex- exhibits addiction in that regard. And it's nice to see it making some headlines, by the way, especially for Facebook. So just to punctuate and maybe focus as we're coming in for a landing this time and then cue you up to just lead us in the fire of the Holy Spirit, a prayer for all who are listening. So those three things. One, just I want to punctuate for our listeners. Folks, check John Michael Talbot out uh, on Facebook. Um, when I get there, I love your short daily, it seems almost daily reflections, daily videos. You know, and if you aren't familiar with what John Michael Talbot looks like, just picture ZZ Top, Billy something or other. In fact, I think you need to do uh, some of your reflections sometime to your ha, ha, ha. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so do, folks. And I, I do think there's something valuable about finding good content like this because it turns our, our smartphones, if you will, ba- there can be a baptizing factor of mind and soul if we are looking for good things and we expect good things to come out but of it. Intentional, yes, not just exactly. kind of scrolling. Exactly. So that's like, it. Seek it out. And I want to say, yeah, you you raised questions, Steph, that are helpful to all of us. Catholic, you know, I say mindfulness. Why am I checking? What's it going to do for me? And when we honestly answer that question, it may for- stall us from doing that. Back to you, John Michael. And just for those of us who battle with this, who are more inclined to be wired to social media as a quick dopamine hit versus taking time and making a commitment to make our hearts a hermitage, I do think there's a switch there. There's some, we need guidance to actually, you know, prompt us away from the quick hit to something that's deep and rich and good. From fast food, shall we say, to slow food, what advice do you have to make that cross across the Rubicon? Well, it's called discipline. Mm-hmm. And it- Amen. And that's, a, that's an act of the will. You have to decide to do it and ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to empower you to stay true to it. And mm. he will. But there are some tricks. Uh, turn, your, turn your phone off. I have right here, I've got right on my chair, I've got my iPhone and my imitation of Christ and my ascetical homilies of St. John, or excuse me, St. Isaac the Syrian. Mm-hmm. Um, I pick up my phone, like everybody else does, and I check Facebook about four times a day, maybe. Um, It's part of my ministry. But I don't scroll. I don't go to the news feed, and I don't scroll through it and look at this and look at that. I just don't do it. And Mm -hmm. 
And all I can tell you is if I did, I would eat up all my entire day mm-hmm. just doing that kind of stuff. So I don't have any easy answers, guys. I mean, you just you just set it down and you just don't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you'll excuse me, it's like guys that come to me, you know, in the celibate life, and they they say I can't stop masturbating, and mm-hmm. I go, well, sit on your hands, <laughs> you know, just sit on your hands and don't move them, you know. Uh, sometimes you have to just the early the early fathers wanted to stay awake, and some of them actually tied themselves to a, up so that they couldn't lie down. Uh, I know it sounds radical and absurd and ab- extreme by our standards. But sometimes you just have to do a physical separation from the device. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you True. just do a physical separation from the device. And it's like trying not to eat. Guess what? Don't open the refrigerator door. Right. Just don't do it. Mm-hmm. And I... once you get in the groove of fasting, either from social media or from food or from sex or whatever it is, once you make that initial break, which is a little tough, once you get into the groove of that, there is a clarity that comes yes. over you, spirit, soul, and even body. Mm-hmm. There, there is a, you reach a crystalline clarity that you don't get when, you know, you indulge your senses or your ego or mm-hmm. these kinds of things. You get muddy. You start to feel heavy and weighed down. Um, it's like overeating. You feel heavy and weighed down when you overeat. And the same thing is true spiritually or morally. So if if you make that break, there is, <clears throat> you know, there is a reward in it. Mm-hmm. And the reward isn't just in heaven. The reward is right here in our life. Mm-hmm. You just find a clarity of spirit that you can't get any other way. So there is a payoff, folks. Awesome. We're going to ask you to lead us in a two-minute spiritual meeting and just break it out. You get a word of knowledge or pray over us, however you are led, uh, in just a moment. I just am grateful that all of you folks are listening to us. Again, direct you to presenceforchristmas.com, massimpact.us forward slash partner with us. I love my family.us and partnering with us. And just my punctual thing is if if that urge to check could be transformed into an urge for prayer, which is to say an urge for intimacy, we'd become a society of saints. Let's say it again. If the urge to check, all of us listening right now, that urge gotta check, if that was transformed to okay, I could turn this into turning to God in intimacy. We'd be a society of saints. I turn it over to you, John Michael, to land us in prayer. Okay, Jesus, we just pray and we thank you for this time of conversation and sharing and building up and evangelizing mm. and all the wonderful things that are happening here, even as the three of us just talk together mm. and knowing that so many others are listening. Mm-hmm. So we thank you for this wonderful opportunity. I ask you to bless this program and bless the sponsors so that you can continue to Mm. do it. I ask that the listeners that come to you regularly would be deeply, deeply blessed Mm. by your guests and by your wisdom, you two. You both have such great wisdom. 
And I pray that God would use that in a powerful way. Mm. I ask, Lord, that in any of the little things I shared today from my life, mm. whatever for what it is, uh, Lord, if anything was good, that you would that you would write that in the heart of the listeners, mm. our brothers and sisters, mm. and that they could take that with them. They could take it to their spiritual bank. Mm and put it in the bank, and it would draw interest, and, and it would bring spiritual wealth to them. Lord, we pray that we would truly be penitent mm. in a healthy and a wholesome and a life-giving way. Mm. Help us to know that without you we are nothing. Help us to know that you are so merciful that you forgive mm. us and let us, to have, let us have communion with you and with each other despite our sins. Lord, help us to go into the hermitage of the heart, mm. to find solitude and silence, to turn off our phones and our tablets and all of these mental intrusions so that we could just be in that sweet place of peace and clarity mm. with you so that when we come together in community and reach out in our ministries that we will have the power of the Holy Spirit and something to say that is worthwhile. So, Lord, we thank you. I ask that you would bless uh, bless my little books and my little recordings. I am so grateful that that you do use them, and, and I hear reports and testimonies mm. of people who are touched, and I'm just overwhelmed that you would use these. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Amen. Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. And Amen. In the name especially of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Thank grateful you. and blessed that you are with us and made the time. And we do pray that uh, God, just the Spirit, flood the sails of you and all those united with you, which we are in the heart of the Father, to see the kingdom come alive. Folks, so grateful that you took the time to be with us tonight on Ignite Radio Live. And until next time, may his abundant blessing be with you.